again, 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God loved, so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe that the love that God has for us, and to believe that love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this love perfected with us, so that, by this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, also, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he does not love his, for he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is God's word. Amen. These, these words have the power to alter, even shatter your life this morning. Uh, and out of that rubble, build something far more significant, far more amazing, far more glorious than you ever imagined. And they had this kind of effect on my life 18 years ago and have been shaping and altering my life ever since. Love. Nothing quite expresses love like the medium of music. Uh, Bill Shakespeare, you may have heard of him, uh, once said that music was the only proximate substitute for love. He said, give me some music of us that trade in love. Accordingly, every woman has dreamed of being serenaded with a guitar while every man has thought of ways to avoid that situation and finding himself in the situation, hence the production of mixtapes, right, for so many decades. They served us so well, gentlemen. They're gone now. But many of us feel that we almost have to say, I love you. There's no other way. We have to say, I love you in a song, which is itself a song, by the way. Jim Croce saying that one. In fact, there is at the U.S. Copyright Office in Washington, D.C., 10,000 songs, 10,000 songs on file that attempt to define love in the title, Love is Blank. 10,000. 
So for instance, you got love is like a hurricane, right? Here's some interesting ones I just wanted to give to you this morning. Uh, love is on the 10-yard line and, and about to score. You know what I'm saying? All right? Love, I think that's the insinuation there. I'm sorry. It's on the 10-yard line. You're no football, American football. So love is your prescription. Love is for suckers. Uh, love, <laughs> here's the entertaining one. Love is hell in a small hotel. 10,000 people, though, who want to know what love is. Who are saying, I want to know what love is. And I want you to show me, right? <laughs> Another song. Unbelievable. Foreigner. Anyone? Anyone a big Foreigner fan out there? Come on. Thank you. I think there's more. Some of you secretly. You, you could sing it. But perhaps a better question than what is love was asked this week by a young gentleman in our congregation who asked his mom, who invented love? You know, one of those backseat questions you get every once in a while, your kid's talking about you know, video games, movies, all of a sudden there's like the profound question, you're half asleep, driving, just trying to get through your day. Your child asks, mom, who invented love? All of a sudden you've got to turn it on and answer that question, right? And it's a great question. We're told here, In this passage, who invented love, where it comes from, how we can access it in unlimited supply. 1 John 4. And it is my shortest in a nutshell ever. If I had to summarize the sermon in a nutshell, it would be this. Love without. That's it. All right, the sermon in a nutshell this morning is love without. The only way to be perfected within is to find love without. So we're going to explore this morning the myth, first of all, the myth that love begins from within. Secondly, we're going to look at the fact and the act that love begins without. Thirdly, we've got to love from without to send love back out. And finally, how love from without gets God within. Alright, so we're going to look at these things this morning. First of all, the myth... That love begins within. I'm one of these guys who likes to find out where a concept started. It's a little bit OCD like that, but I I like to find out where something started, its origins, because I think that can help us disarm a concept or bolster it into whether we should buy into it today. And it's certainly true of self-love Self-forgiveness, self-acceptance, self-esteem, self-help, self-actualization, the list goes on and on, self-improvement. Because you have been exposed and have likely even bought into at least partially the notion that everything you need to repair brokenness in your life is within you. By loving yourself, by forgiving yourself, by accepting yourself. After all, It's an $11 billion industry with 45,000 books in print on the subject. A person, see, used to define himself in terms of his family, his community, his tribe, his nation. They were inextricably linked. This is kind of who I am. I don't even think of me as an individual per se. And then starting with Christians, actually, like Augustine. Wrote an individual memoir called Confessions, and 
on through history, like guys like Rene Descartes, I think, therefore, I am. I'm a person. Moving through history, we saw the rise and prominence of the individual and his personal need for divine help to repair what's wrong with him or with her. If you know psychology at all, you'll know the name of William James, a 19th century American psychologist who started to focus on the importance of introspection. He started to indicate that everything a person needs to be healed and to become whole is actually inside of them. And this continued in sort of the academic world and then began to trickle down into popular culture until the self-help movement received its greatest anthem. I'm going to stop singing at this point, don't worry. Uh, From Whitney Houston, 1986, a song that made her become famous. I'll tell you some of the lyrics. She said, Because the greatest love of all is happening to me, I found the greatest love of all inside of me. The greatest love of all is easy to achieve. Learning to love yourself is the greatest love of all. I'm so tempted to sing there, but it would be so, so bad. You just want to, don't you? I'm telling you. Love inside of us. Learning to love yourself. Love happening to you. The greatest love of all is inside of me. And this is reached into our day and age all the way to Oprah Winfrey and Dr. Phil, whose hypothetical love child is, of course, self-love. Right? They were to have a love... Uh, self-love, second child, self-acceptance, third child, self-forgiveness. I was Googling Oprah and Dr. Phil this week, and what do you know? First thing that comes up is a clip on Dr. Phil recommending the remedy for hurt in life, to being hurt, is to be your own best friend. And he keeps repeating and keep repeating, be your own best friend. This idea of there's enough inside of you to repair what's inside of you. Well, even as I say this, I recognize most of you shake your head, we laugh, because you probably don't fully buy into all this. But we're honest, we typically do address brokenness from our resources within. We look within. We begin within. For the analytical and feeler types out there, when something goes pear-shaped, that's the question, what's wrong with me? Right? What did I do? Where does this come from that I feel the need for this? Or that I must have this, or why, am, why, where does this come from that I'm hurt by this? It must be something in me, in my background, in my history. But it's also true, by the way, for you doers out there. Those of you who scoff, who secretly scoff, make little jokes, those of us who are analytical and feelers, we face the difficulty of something broken, we ask the question, how can I fix this? Now, what does that come from? Why do we ask that question? We can tell ourselves, I'm fairly certain that I possess the resources within to make this better. I'm pretty certain I have this, and so I can fix this. Just tell me what's wrong. Everything I need is inside of me. It's true for the analytical, it's true for the feelers, it's true for the fixers. And the reason I bring all of this up and put my finger there is what immediately stands out and reading this timeless passage about love is the noticeable absence of this relatively new myth that love begins from within. Do you notice that there's no talk 
of this loving ourselves, start, love starting inside of us and loving ourselves. Self-acceptance, self-forgiveness, no talk of that. Now, I don't want to demonize it, though. You know, sometimes preachers, we like, we're so black and white. This on one thing, this on the other, extremes. I don't want to demonize self-acceptance and self-forgiveness. I know that they can have an important place in many of our journeys alongside the love and the forgiveness and the reconciliation that God offers. And furthermore, the Bible calls us to look inside sometimes for some sober self-examination. Romans 12.3, Galatians 6.4. Let me take a quick step back here. We've said in this letter, 1 John, that John writes a lot like life. So he returns to the same themes. Because as human beings, we tend to return to the same mistakes. Right? We circle back to them. And we need to hear the same truth. So we circle back to that truth. And it feels like we're going in circles. But in returning and encountering to Jesus in the same truth, we start to grow. Hence the telephone cord visualization there. Somewhere in this growth, we might find this self-forgiveness and self-acceptance accompanying God's forgiveness and God's acceptance of us in Jesus Christ. We want to acknowledge that. But John also like the Christian life, moves beyond this. He moves us beyond this and says that we will experience some victory, some overcoming in this life, some overcoming of idols, some overcoming of sin patterns and sin habits, some overcoming of bondage in this life, which is awesome because this Christianity thing really works. And so in the last two and a half chapters of this letter, we read such overcoming words. Words like overcome. Words like greater victory, confidence, and here, perfected. Love perfected. What I'm finding more and more in my life is that as God perfects us in love, it is an outward-looking and outward-directed love. A love from without that returns back out. And that's why we heard from John earlier saying things like in chapter 3, verse 2, the more clearly we see Jesus, the more we become like Him. And until one day we see Him exactly and purely as He is, and we'll be like Him. But you've got to look outside yourself. We saw in chapter 4, verse 20 last week that God is greater than our hearts whenever our hearts condemn us. Right? We've got to look outward to a God who is greater because we can't trust our own hearts. We can't trust what's inside of us. Why can't we? Why is that? Why is that? Why can't self-improvement, self-love, self-forgiveness ultimately work? Because true love is selfless. True love is selfless. We say that, there's, you know, it's in greeting cards. Right, it's on Facebook posts, things of that nature. Oh, but it is very fleeting. Selfless love. It starts not within, but it starts with God. It starts with the love of the Trinity. This is brilliant. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. And it's brilliant and right. It's real right that the God of Christianity is a three personed God. Because his love is eternally 
eternally self-giving. It's a three-person God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So in Matthew 3, 16 and 17, at Jesus' baptism, Jesus is getting commissioned going out into the world to minister to it, to love it, to die for it. And the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, descends on Jesus, and the Father speaks audibly and says, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And so you get the Father speaking love and the Spirit showing it, descending like a dove on Jesus, visibly. Other places, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, brings honor to the Son, if you read John 16. You see, the Son wants to bring honor and love to the Father in John chapter 10. So there's this constant self-giving, self-honoring that happens in no other religion, friend, no other life philosophy other than Christianity. Otherwise, it's always a selfish love. This is the God who's always self-giving in His love. This love, then, shared between the Trinity, spills out into the creation of human beings. He just loves. So he makes man and woman in this image. It spills out in the creation of man, continues in his creation of Eve for Adam. Think about that for a moment. Adam's creator sets the example for him, for life. He sets the example. Here's how you love. Take a piece of yourself and you give it away for the benefit of the other person. In this case, it was a rib. Here's how you, here's a self-giving love. Adam's creator sets the example for man how he can be a self-giving lover for the rest of his life. But when Adam and Eve rebel, their eyes are opened to the possibilities of evil tree of knowledge of good and evil, their eyes are open to the possibilities of evil and to a twisted, to a perverted way of loving. See, friends, there's a way, we know this from experience, you can love someone that's actually a selfish love. It's a self-centered love. I don't want to talk necessarily about people who suck the life out of you in friendships or people who suck the life out of society. You're the hell out, right? But, the kind acts, the, even the altruistic benef- acts, the beneficial deeds can often be motivated by desire for that person to feel a little bit better about themselves. You hear this all the time in Hollywood, right? Why do you like to give to charities? I just feel a little bit better about myself. It's actually a self-serving love, the appearance of self-giving. Feel a little bit better about who I am a little bit more confident that I'm accepted and loved by even God. All of that's centered on self. So at best, we experience only these momentary flashes, right, of true self-giving love, where you just, your, your heart is just for just that person. Not for how you feel. Not for how, what it makes you believe about yourself. Thankfully, there is a holy self-giving love outside of us to which John points us. And that's the second point here. The fact and the act that love begins without. Not within, but without. So let's look first at the fact of love. Verse 7, look at that with me. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. 
So while experience is king in this day and age, everything we experience, everything we feel, even in the church a lot of times, there does come a quiet moment of reflection uh, or a comment that shakes us or a tragedy or a period of suffering that compels us to step back and ask the question, is everything I built my life around really true? Is it really lasting? Will it really last forever? God's love is. God's love is. And so John reminds us that it's a fact. Not just a sort of hypothetical or out there kind of fact, but a historical fact. The real historical God who became a baby on a certain date. Look at me in verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That's why he's saying this. It's a certain date. God's love was made clear among us. God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. God sent himself into the actual world on an actual date, actual time in history. There's on a real mound outside of Jerusalem, the same God tag team in our place He tag-teamed us out to die the death we should have died, absorb the just punishment for our rebellion. He took it on. It's a concept called propitiation, which we read here again in verse 10. We've seen this before in John. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. In other words, there's a real time in history, a real place, this little mound outside of the walls of Jerusalem. Where God, as a man, died in our place, dying the death we deserved, and during the punishment we should have absorbed. In verse 16, actually, let me back up here. Verse 14. Skipped over my notes here. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. John reminds us here that a bunch of normal guys who never knew each other before had pretty decent lives and livelihoods were witnesses to Jesus' historical death and resurrection. His life, his death, his resurrection. They saw it. They were witnesses. So again, John reminds us, as he does many times in this letter, we have seen it. We testify to it. Here he is. And guess what? He didn't just come to set an example for us. He came to save us, to rescue us. Also, verse 16, so we have come to know and rely on this love God has for us. Friends, you are surrounded by examples of people who know and believe in this historical fact of love. People who have made sacrifices, who have endured suffering, who have forsaken friendships and jobs for real love. And have asked that question, can I really build my life around this love? Is it really real? Because I'm giving for it. I'm sacrificing for it. I'm suffering for it. And they do. Not just because it's a feeling, because it's a fact. God's love, which sent his only son to save people. And these who get the privilege also of living out this amazing truth. Look at verse 17. As Jesus is, as he is, think about this. As Jesus is, the resurrected Jesus, so also are we in this world. Not because of anything we've done, not because of our goodness. Because Jesus died on a cross in our place 
and so makes us right with God. So we are like him in this world. It's an amazing privilege. So you get this fact of love. But you also get the act of love. God means to make his history part of your history. And so he acts on it. He, he does something in history, but he wants to do something in your history, so he pursues you with his love. God is the great initiator. We see this throughout Scripture. It's always God who initiates. On your own, on my own, I cannot seek out and find God on some great quest or divine amazing race. All right? It doesn't happen. We are stuck. And you've had that feeling. We are, we are blind, the Bible says, lost, even dead. But God, by his Holy Spirit, pursues you. That's why so many people, if you talk to them about their spiritual experience, you talk to them about their trust in Jesus and their life with Christ, they'll say, I wasn't necessarily looking for God. I didn't really want God necessarily. I wasn't thinking about God. But he just sort of broke into my life through people, through circumstances, through hard times. Why is that? Because most of us are pretty blind. Most of us aren't thinking about God. We're not seeking God. We're stuck. We're lost. And if you notice, that's why God has to send. Look at verse 9, twice. Verse 9 and verse 10. God sent. God sent. He is the initiator. He's the divine postman. He brings it. And because God did send, He continues to send. He loved, and so He loves. And that's why we get this glorious truth in verse 19, which is probably a great summary of this whole passage. We can love because He first loved us. We love because He first loved us. He sent it. He brought it. He gave it. He rescued us. He delivered us. He saved us. He got us out of the pit. The jaws of life came down and brought us out. And he continues to send his Holy Spirit to show us how God loves us through the death, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. He also sends people to pursue. The other night, we had all our community group leaders gathered together a couple weeks ago for prayer and fellowship. It was a sweet time. A little bit of worship, a little bit of prayer, a little bit of fellowship. And I asked all these leaders who God sent to pursue you. Because he sends people into our lives. He often pursues us by sending someone else to act like Jesus and pursue us. So I asked, who is that person for you? And it was so cool to hear. I heard about young life leaders in high school, people who are part of an organization that loves teenagers for Christ. Heard about camp counselors. Heard about a teacher. Heard about a pastor. Heard about good friends and heard about parents. It was almost like everybody had someone different pursuing them. And it was just so amazing to hear different people. God continues, friends, to use such people to pursue. You might be that someone. He is sending you to pursue and so show the world that He first loved you, that He first loves you, that He first loves you. My wife Katie was that for me. 
She was absolutely that for me. I was sent against my will to a Christian summer camp. I had attended years ago. I did not want to go to this Christian summer camp. And if you heard my story about this, because I was enjoying a summer with my friends in rebellion and various kinds of activities that weren't necessarily healthy and were the product of anti-drug commercials. All right? But it's another story. I, I just enjoyed this life. I was living. It was fun. Lots of laughter. But I, I saw later I was stuck. And Anyway, I attended this camp. and My parents sent me there. It was a last-ditch effort to sort of save me, if you will. And there I experienced the act of love truly experienced the act of love like I had never experienced before. I wasn't seeking or wanting God in the least. Didn't want to be there. I brought my disc man along, put in my headphones, a typical guy. I know I had a disc man, that's right. Put my AA batteries in. It's awesome. I wasn't seeking or wanting God in the least, but a handful of people loved me selflessly, even though the love I gave out was that kind of perverted, self-centered type of love. Kind of a sarcastic love that served me to get jokes, get humor. It was ugly, though. But even still, people gave me this selfless love. Think about that. On the table, selfless love. My perverted, evil love. People kept giving the selfless love. It was like they were trading it in. Why? Katie was one of those persons, and God sent her and others. And he worked by his Holy Spirit to prepare me for the fact of love, for the fact of God's great trade-off in Jesus Christ. The camp director read from the Bible, one night, beloved, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who has been born of God knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, God's love was made manifest among us that God sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a propitiation, as a sacrifice for sin. He read those words, friends, and it absolutely penetrated my heart. I just wept and thought, man, I want what they have. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. I want that love, so I guess i got to be born of God. i got to know this God. Who is this God, though? How can I be sure he loves me? Again, this is how God showed his love to you. He sent his son. He sent him into this world to live the life you couldn't, and to die the death you deserve so you can live with him forever. It's a fact. So you see that? I got the act of love followed by the fact of love. It changed my life. It's still changing. When you get that love from without, we're then called to send it back out, to send love back out. Here's the third point. We make two mistakes, though, in handling this kind of love. When we get that love from without, the fact and the act of love in Jesus Christ, we make two mistakes in handling that kind of love. When we try to love from within, notice John makes it clear that navel-gazing won't do. 
It just won't work. But paying attention to the obvious in front of you and outside of you. That's why he says in verse 11, hey, look, no one has ever seen God. He is invisible, but you can love one another. He says in verse 20, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, notice, uh, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. He's pointing our attention outward. There is the obvious physical brother in front of you. Look out. If we look outward to an invisible God for love, satisfaction, and worth, you will love your visible brother along the way. That's how it works. You're going to notice him more readily. You're going to notice her more readily. You're going to see him along the way, and you're going to love them. You're going to pay attention to their needs. Pay attention to how you can build them up, how you can encourage them. If you start every morning, for instance, dealing with that inner guilt, that inner sense of inadequacy, that inner insecurity and jealousy by looking to the cross that brings the necessary healing and divine power to jumpstart the rest of your day to look outward, you'll see Jesus clearly. You'll see your brother clearly along the way. Because he's there. Jesus is there. He's in that sip of coffee in the silence in the morning. But I'll miss him if I'm preoccupied by how little I accomplished yesterday. He's right there in line or in the loo, ready to, to start up a silent conversation. But we rarely see him. We spend time feeling frustrated, being deprived of my time, of my work, because of my boss, because of my spouse, because of my kids. And we'll miss him if we're looking inwards. He's in that surprising chat with someone or the warm smile to be received with thanksgiving to God. Man, that's awesome. I just appreciate that, Lord. But I'll miss him if I'm focusing inward. How can I get more of that? Why don't other people love me like that? Should I have said something different in that conversation? Do you see what I'm saying? When we look inward, we miss Jesus working outward in our lives. He's there. It's in these moments and seasons of Thanksgiving because I notice Jesus and conversational prayer to Him and Thanksgiving to Him. It rests a tune on my lips about Him. I'm thinking about the words of Jesus or the sacrificial worth of Jesus. It's in these moments that I'm way more alert to the needs of my brother or my sister in Christ. Way more alert to the needs of my neighbors. I just notice them more quickly. Why? My focus is directed outward towards my Savior, to the one who can satisfy me, the one I can talk to all day long. And along the way, I see my brother, my sister, my neighbor, to love them. My focus is outward. So the first mistake we make is we try to love from within. We look within, fix... Can't do that. Second mistake we make is we try to protect God's love. God's love is utterly unlike the world's love which demands something of equal value in return, right? You know this experience. If I'm going to be loved, I've got to offer something in return. So when you taste the preciousness of God's love, of self-giving love, you want to protect it. You want to keep it alive inside of you. You don't want it to be damaged. This goes back to verse 18. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. It goes back to this idea of this not yet perfected love that's bound up with fear. If I, if I give away this love, I'll never get it back. I'll only get hurt if I give it away. 
I've experienced something so precious. If I give it away, it'll damage me. It won't come back to me. I'll be without. And so you fear. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping your heart intact, you must give it to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. Your heart will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. But if you keep looking without to the fact and the act of God's love, Jesus promises you'll be constantly filled and refilled to love others. There's this great moment in Jesus' ministry in John chapter 7. He's at this festival. And he surprises people by saying, listen, you're drinking because of this festival. You're drinking water in this part of this festival. But if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, whoever trusts in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And it says later he was talking about the Holy Spirit. Here's the idea. You come to Jesus. You look outward to Jesus. And you don't thirst anymore. And then out of your heart flow rivers of living water to other people. He refills you. Last point. How love from without gets God within. There's lots of talk in this passage about the God of love or love itself abiding in us. But neither starts in us. They kind of get stuck in there as we're loved from without, as we respond to loving back out. And it seems like it'd be wise to hoard such love, to stockpile it, to protect it. But no, rather, if we love one another, it says God abides in us. His love is perfected in us. We get further, he gets further stuck in. God does in us. There's this abiding. Verse 13 says this is the confirmation that God, the Holy Spirit, does abide in us. Verse 15 goes further to say that God's love Love and God gets stuck in not only because we love well, but as we speak up about the fact that God loves us. Right? That we testify to it. And you know this experience of when you say something, it becomes more real. You ever notice that when you say something out loud, it becomes more real. Testify to that love. That love will further abide in you. And verse 16, finally, so we have come to know and rely or believe in the love God has for us. If I might paraphrase, so we've come to know and feel trustworthy to begin with love from without, not from within. And when you know it, without listening to self-help gurus, obsessing over personality tests, or analyzing the past or my family tree, something happens inside of me. The greatest love of all. The perfect love. God takes residence. And love is perfected. Isn't that glorious, this passage? There's some great ideas for this, and I'm going to close here. I mean, there's some great ideas to think of for receiving love from without, perfect love from within. I'm going to, I'll list some later on my blog, for lack of time, but you're picking a gospel this summer and reading about how Jesus loved and just making a notes about that. Because sometimes Jesus loved in different ways, speaking the truth, being tender and compassionate, being obedient in the face of temptation. 
dying on a Sometimes it wasn't saying anything at all. But just making notes. Taking a gospel this summer, reading it, singing about Jesus, praising with your lips. Start with music that's seasoned with biblical truth about Jesus. Songs like Jesus Messiah by Chris Tomlin. Uh, there's some great hymns out there. Hymns are great for this. What a friend we have in Jesus. Uh, we're going to sing in a moment a great song about Jesus, isn't he? And it says truth about Jesus. There are all kinds of ways. Develop a friendship with someone who wants to talk about and point you toward Jesus. I got an opportunity to spend an extended time with a friend this week. It was recreational in nature, so it was very unlikely that we'd kind of pray if we were doing something outside. But we did, and we talked about Deuteronomy 6 where it says to talk about God when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up, to talk about Jesus in everyday situations. And So we actually did that. And it was so encouraging. Do you know what came out of that? Encouragement about our wives. Encouragement about friendships. It wasn't hints of gossip or slander or discouragement. That's what happens. When you look out to Jesus, there are more examples. If you've never experienced this kind of self-giving love, but only the frustrations of self-centered love, both from within and from others, I want to invite you today to love from without. To trust the fact of love without. Because contrary to beer commercials, And male fraternizing, love doesn't start in here. No. (laughs) It doesn't start there. But outside of yourself, through the historical person and work of Jesus Christ. And in the act of love without. But if it's up to God to initiate, to make the first move, you might ask the question, how do I know? How do I know that he has made the first move? How can I know he's been knocking at my door? Because you're here. Look around you. Just take a moment. Look around you. Love is winning. Love is winning. When Katie and I arrived here, there were 15 to 20 people, most of whom were given Sunrise Community Church one last shot for making it. Otherwise, they thought this thing's going to die. He basically said that to me. And now they're here, all these people gather here to know God, to hear what he has to say, to love others and to praise him. And you are here with us. God has pursued you all the way to a seat in this theater. And all you have to say is, I do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this amazing passage of love. It's so glorious. I pray this morning, Lord, that it wrecks many of our lives. And out of that wreck, we build something far more significant, glorious, and eternal that we never before imagined. Some of us are here this morning, Lord, and we really, we're barely here. I mean, we came because of somebody else. We don't really want God. Oh, but you're here. God has pursued you. He has brought you to this moment. I pray that you would see in the God of the Bible, in Jesus Christ, is a fact of love. He became a man on an actual day and an actual time and died a death in an actual place and actually for you. And that he continues to pursue you today. Oh Lord, for those of us who do know Jesus, I pray that we continue to look outward. That love would be perfected in us. That we wouldn't keep looking within to handle our day. We wouldn't keep looking within to love our enemies. To care for those who are different than us. To love when it's least expected. To battle temptation. That we would look outward to Jesus more and more in our lives. To love, find love from without so we might be able to love perfectly back out.
We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.